Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David and we are the NCP crew. Richo. Hello. Luke. Schmirpen. I can't think of hello in Swedish. And Crystal. That's right, we're back. <laughs> back again. <laughs> and we're not happy. <laughs> NCP2 Electric Boogaloo. I know that a lot of people have said that you, know, you need to... Be a bit more prominent with your voice, Crystal. But did you really need to sound like Linda Blair from The Exorcist? <laughs> How do you know I'm not possessed? I never said that you weren't. But I actually think it's more like you're more like Mel Tomei. How do we know you're not Mel Tomei? <laughs> this no. is not Mel Tomei. Richo's Mel Tomei. No Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on no culture related film. Oh. What? what was that? Foil? Foil? <laughs> We're from Doisy now. <laughs> Go and review a film. How, how am I funny? <laughs> funny to you? Funny, in, funny? Wait, funny in ha-ha funny? God, that's a brilliant scene. And comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have our podcast, but we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. For this episode, we have a dust jacket. We will be discussing the novel The Prestige by Christopher Priest. The Prestige. And a popcorn junkie. <laughs> I think unre- you like saying prestige. I'm just I don't know what add- it is. You could just be saying prestige. I'm, try- I'm trying to add some prestige to the word prestige. Our entire book review is just going to consist of David sitting there saying prestige. <laughs> so it's not going to be much of an episode, everybody, but you'll like it. My God-giving acting ability. <laughs> And a popcorn junkie on Ridley Scott's return to the Alien Universe with Prometheus. We were very excited about it last episode. How excited are we about it now? Stay tuned. Aren't there going to be tears? <laughs> Who knows? Man tears. Tears of joy. Tears of sadness. Tears of rage. tears. <laughs> Just to clean out those ducks. Mm. <laughs> it's the chlorine. It gets into our eyes. And of course, a reminder about our competition rules. So we'll get to that later. Up first, Dust Jacket. We have a slight deviation for uh, this week's Dust Jacket. As many of you know, if you've been listening for a long time, the reviews I've been doing have actually come from SciFiLists.com's uh, list of the top 200 science fiction novels of all time. But for some reason, The Prestige is actually not on the list at all. It's kind of weird. It is kind of weird. Um, There's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's plenty of books on there that shouldn't be on there. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, Battlefield Earth. Looking at you, strangers in a strange land. <laughs> no, it needs to be on there. Well, I picked up The Prestige because it's actually part of the sci-fi uh, Masterworks collection of books by Galantz. And uh, if you're a sci-fi fan and you're looking to get into reading uh, more sci-fi literature, I actually strongly recommend those series of books. They really do cover a lot of the classics. So... Um, yeah, so that's the first slight deviation. The second slight deviation I want to do for The Prestige is that it's a slightly difficult book to give you the plot of because there's a lot of twists and turns and I don't want to spoil too much of it. Mm. So I'm just going to give a, a basic overview. Um, this is interesting. I'm very intrigued to see how you pull this off. <laughs> much like The Prestige itself. Exactly right. The book begins with Andrew Wesley, a reporter, uh, who through a series of events, finds himself at a country estate where he meets Catherine Angier. What he finds there is that um, he is actually from a family uh, whose surname is Borden. He didn't really know the Bordens or anything. He was He's actually an orphan, so he doesn't really know his family history. Um, but Catherine reveals to him that the Bordens um, and the Angiers have actually had a long-running family feud that dates back to the late 1800s. And revolves around Alfred Borden and Rupert Angier, who were stage magicians. So that's basically, you get the setup with Andrew um, arriving, uh, meeting Catherine. A slight discussion without really revealing the details of what the rivalry between the two magicians was. But uh, Catherine then reveals um, that she has a copy of Alfred Borden's diary. And that leads us into then the story of Alfred Borden. Um, so suddenly we're going from the present back into the 1800s um, where we get Borden's side of the rivalry. And it's it's actually quite an obsessive rivalry the two have. Um, and as the 
story progresses, you find that they kind of, you know, for 30, 40 years, they've been backwards and forwards at one another, um, trying to disrupt each other's magical shows. And uh, later on, you then get Angier's side of the story as well, which is actually very different to Borden's side of the story. And now I'm really struggling because I, I, it's difficult to reveal too much of the detail of what goes on between the two. Well, you eventually find spoiling. out the, the reason for the rivalry. Yeah, and, you do. And, There's... Uh, and Borden, to his credit, tries to sort of make amends, mm. but he doesn't really realise why... Uh, he doesn't At, at the start, he doesn't realise why the, Angier is so upset yeah. until you eventually find out from Angier's, Angier's side. side of the story yeah. for what was going on. And then, and, and then it basically just goes down through the generations. And both of them, what I find interesting, both of them do understand just how destructive and obsessive their rivalry is and you know at certain points in both of their stories you see them actually regretting the things that have happened in the past but they just can't help themselves they just continue to attack one another and that obsessiveness is part of uh one of the major themes of the book Uh, obsession and uh perseverance basically you know the main themes i'd say certainly uh, there's also an insaneness there's also a question of identity as well though Yes, exactly. Which is a major, major running theme. And once again, it's very difficult to yeah. discuss this theme and the nature of how it's presented in the book without spoiling things. Well, one of the possible themes of identity is based on the fact that they both have stage personas. Yeah. Exactly. So there's, exactly. there's probably the only safe one we can give away, really. <laughs> and, and as you said, the extent that they go to to perfect that stage persona and to perfect the stage show and to, yeah, um, yeah just how it impacts on their personal lives... Mm. Um, is a major aspect of this book. Um, there's also a rather nice sort of historical context for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rupert Angier actually meets Nikola Tesla mm-hmm. um, in what I found to be a very entertaining section of the book. It is awesome. Um, David it's... Bowie. <laughs> well, and, and portrayed quite well in the film by yeah. David Bowie. I, thought well, we'll ta- I think we'll talk about the film in a yeah. moment. Yeah, we'll but, talk about um, the film later, won't you? What's what's interesting is that um, there is actually a nice comparison presented. Te- Tesla himself is obsessed with his work and obsessed with um, perfecting his work and obsessed with his name uh, being uh, being known to everybody as the greatest inventor of his time. And obviously he has a rivalry, which is only sort of touched on in the book, uh, with Thomas Edison. Look, but, check, check it out, uh, the history of uh, Tesla versus Edison online. It's, it's um, really quite interesting. <laughs> Edison, one of the heroes of America. Absolute scumbag. He's just, he's just a scumbag. I'm not saying Tesla was an angel, but some of the stuff Edison and his crew got up to, my God, crazy. Well, that's, uh, well just sort of a standard. that's why um, the film industry ended up being in Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. Because they all wanted to get away from Edison. <laughs> So Tesla actually provides a very interesting comparison because he is as obsessed as Angier and Borden are, just obviously in a different field. But yeah, it brings a nice, I think, nice historical aspect to the book. It actually places it very firmly in the time period in which it's set, um, which is, I think, a fantastic addition. Yes. And I think that really the strength of this book lies in its character work. In the characterization of Borden and Angier, the story in the present, hmm. I think, is actually a lot weaker. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it slows things down considerably. Oh. It, it does. I'm, I'm not entirely certain. Yeah, that it works really you you to the strength of the book. You could have taken. It's a framing device. It's our. It's meant to be our way into the story and allow us to discover, you know, each revelation as it occurs. But you could have taken it out and just done something slightly, a little bit more linear, and still had the same effect. Hmm. Um, you don't actually. I don't. I don't think. And given that ultimately, at what Andrew's just made discovery about himself and his involvement on the list is, it's actually kind of trite. I always found. Yeah, I mean, it's, when they get the most, you get most of the information from diary form, and, hmm. and Dracula does the same thing. Yeah. But in a much better clearer way, way yeah. I think. It's, it's, I mean, he didn't need to have the framing. So he, mm. could, he could have just had the, the diary entry stuff do it on, on their own. I actually found the stuff that's set in the present more interesting. Uh, I found that okay. story more intriguing. However, I didn't like the way it was written. It was sort of written as if they were just reciting facts. So like my 
I was born in such and such date, my parents got together at this date and blah, 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 blah. It was, um, it, do, it doesn't read like an engaging story and the characters seem to fall really flat and there's no personality, so... I found... Just the novel in general here? Sorry? Are you talking about the opening? I'm talking the about this, the, all the stuff that's set in the present, not, not just yeah, the opening, yeah, yeah. but all the stuff that's set yeah. in the present. Yeah. found the storyline in there much more interesting than the stuff that was set in the past. Right. And I was intrigued to find out what the actual mystery was. And that. But I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit I had to skim bits because I got so bored and bogged down with the way it was written just to get to what the actual mystery was at the end. Fair enough. I agree with you in, in one respect, is that... Yeah, Andrew and Catherine are characters and aren't actually, anywhere near as interesting as Borden and Angier. And I, I found that because of that, I, I did find their story to be very matter-of-fact and I didn't find the characters to be all that fascinating. It, it actually reads like it was written in uh, the past. It, yeah. it, it doesn't, it, I, I would have changed the style of writing so that that was more modern. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, there's a, there's a lot of literary games being played in this book. Yes. Yeah, you know, a lot of writing games and a lot of uh, literary twists and turns, not just in the plot, but in the way that the book is written as mm. well. So mm. I'm wondering maybe if that's part of it, if writing yeah. um, the modern scenes in a style that is more reminiscent of the past, maybe that's just one of the games he's playing. But Possibly, I, but I it think didn't it works. work in my... Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work for me. Um that, that, then it just becomes an intellectual exercise, not exactly. an emotional one. Um, and and there is a little bit the, of that, that in this book, I think. It was that yeah, the emotion was very lacking in those mm. in those mm. scenes. Whereas I found that the story, the scenes, um, the sections of the book in the past, I was actually I was enthralled by just because they're such fascinating characters. Mm. Uh, yeah, and the little twists and turns that occur in those sections in the past, I think, are really well done. They're well written. Uh, they're very cleverly written, but there's also an emotional context to them as well. You actually can really get into the heads of both Borden and Angier. Hmm. And I, I like the fact, too, that you get Borden's story first, and you feel a certain level of sympathy for Borden. Hmm. But then you see the same story from Angier's perspective, and you can then sort of understand and feel sympathy to Angier because of, what, of how he's interpreting the same events and how Borden interprets those events is actually very different to one another. And then it just gets to the point where they're just so embroiled in this rivalry that they, they kind of just lose track of everything else. But uh, it's, just, it's just going on what you're saying about how you get when you get Borden's side of the story first, and and yeah, he becomes basically the main. He's the main character mm. for, for a substantial part until yeah. you then get Angie's side, mm. and uh, that sort of the way that. But then when it changes and and you get Angie's side of the story, and he has just as much reason to be upset yeah. as anybody. And then, so it's basically it's like the magic trick itself, where so basically you've got, you, I mean, you're watching the show. It's the board and show, yeah. and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, and you get a whole new yeah. set, set of circumstances. And it's like it's like, oh wow, I never saw that coming. Mm. And uh, it's, it's, I think it ties into with the way the book is the, the way the book is sort of structured. It's, it's a it's a three part structure based on the magic act, act itself, yeah, yeah. The, of like of an illusion act. You get the three parts: the setup, mm. the performance, and then the prestige. Which yeah. is the the surprise finale. Yeah. finale? I think it's I think it's fascinating in, in, in the way it's the way it's structured is that it you need to, you need to think about what you're reading, but not too much. He, as you say, he is very clever with the way he writes the book, but his yeah. use of language mm. I think is actually quite economic. So mm. you're not mm. for the most part you're not getting too bogged down in the writing itself and the sort of inter, intellectual trickery that he's doing. Mm. Got very bogged down in the writing. Really? Yeah. So I much so it... that I found it a struggle to get through. Oh, okay. I found the opposite. I found it a very easy book to read. Yeah, same. Even, mm. even with the, the sort of intellectual exercise of what he's doing. Mm. Um, I found the, the language actually flowed very nicely. and very sim- There were a couple of, couple of moments there, mainly in the, in the modern story, where... Yeah, it did. It, it did get a little bit bogged down, but not because of the writing. I think more because of the plotting of those sections. Yeah, I agree. And because of my 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 vested interest was actually in the characters of the past mm. rather than the characters of the present. Well, yeah. so I was the opposite. I preferred well, yeah. not necessarily the characters in the present, but I preferred the story in the present. Yeah, this has also, of course, been made into a, a movie. Mm. 
Actually, interesting in uh, researching for this, I did a bit of looking on the internet and there's a fairly good website where it has the movie explained. So if anyone, okay. every, anybody has ever been confused by the movie, which is easy to do because it's uh, for the way it's shot, it's very cleverly shot, mm. this website explains it bit okay. by bit as, uh, all the way through. It's quite interesting. What cool. website's called? I can't remember, but I'll pop it in the show notes. Oh, no key. <laughs> Well, the movie, uh, what I find interesting is the movie actually deviates, I think, quite substantially from the book. Yeah, yep. Um, but it's still trying to do like a, a cinematic intellectual equivalent of what the book does, literally speaking. Well, it's, so it's, it's still it's Christopher Nolan. The, mm. yeah. um, so, of course, the, the, the director of Inception. Mm. And I think it's basically a, it's an early model draft of what a inception would eventually then become well, well it's, it's shot out of order much yeah. like um memento is yeah 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 so he's, he's quite he's quite fond of of messing with with um, the timeline yeah with, 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 the, with the timeline the sort of the structure and yeah the sort of, it's just yeah. how how he's going to portray yeah. the story plus he also likes the idea of i think he also likes the, the idea of the trick yeah you know yeah. inception is is about the trick memento was about the trick yeah. This is the quite prestige is all about the, the trick. trick. <laughs> it, it's it's well it's entirely about the trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Memento pulls it off better because here because the character story is actually a lot stronger yeah. than yeah. in any of the other ones. I actually think the film I version think... of the prestige pulls off the trick better than the book version. I think it does. Well, I think mm. it, it focuses on what I felt was the most interesting aspect of the book, which was the, the relationship level. between mm-hmm. Angier and Borden. And Borden. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays up a little bit the um, rivalry between Tesla and Edison yeah. and shows that as a Metaphor. as a comparison and, and a contrast to the Borden Angier relationship. Mm. Um, and it does remove the stuff in the present. Yeah. Um, which which I think was an interesting choice on their part and one that I actually agree. You don't really need it for the movie. No, no you don't. You don't. It does, however, downplay certain other aspects of the book. Yeah. Um, once again, it's very difficult to talk about these aspects without actually spoiling it for you. But the questions of um, identity that the book presents, I think, are a lot stronger than the way they're presented in the film. Agree. Um, and at the end, this doesn't actually this doesn't actually present either Borden or Angiers as either hero or villain. Exactly. Whereas um, the film. Towards the end, um, clearly Angier. Without giving things, without giving yeah. things away, it does actually delineate between the two characters which side of the fence that they sit on, yeah. or that yeah. the audience is meant to sympathise with. One is meant to be, you know, the one that we're meant to care about a bit more, and the other one is the one in the end we're meant to despise. Without giving things away, I don't yeah. Know yeah. but that that is actually the the really the key difference. The, the book is much more about. This is my side of the story, and this is how I was wronged, and this is how, what I'm going to do about it. Yeah. The film goes, nah, I want to see them fight. Mm. Yeah. Both the book and the film, whilst there are similarities, they both stand, I think, very strongly mm. as their own thing. Yeah. Mm. You know, and they both, they're both tr- trying to do the same sort of intellectual exercises, but they're doing it for their medium. Mm. And so, therefore, I think that more than anything else is why they're very different. Yeah. Yeah. Prestige has to play to a wider because the film has to play to a wider audience. To whereas this will have a very specific audience, mainly science fiction um, and literary fans and as liter- well. I and mean, literary if fans. If you're a literary fan, as in you know, and you understand literary theory and things, the tricks that they're playing are actually very clever. Mm-hmm. Sort of in that in that Umberto Eco kind of way of of playing with the idea of, of yeah. writing and language. Yeah, but with that, um, Umberto Eco has, I think. Has a better story though. He's more there's engaging a, there's a deeper to read. Mystery going yeah. on. There, there is. But he, he personally has a better story, or his books do. His books. <laughs> just, the the fra- of, just the way you phrased it, I was like, in like, the name of the rose. The, 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 name of the, rose. <laughs> the only thing, the only thing with that is that I was um, disappointed you expected to know Latin to read that. <laughs> <laughs> it should have come with like a little decoder device. <laughs> well, I read it back before there was Google Translate. So. <laughs> it was the only book you needed subtitles. <laughs> but uh, but I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed The Prestige. I mean, I, I read it because of the film. I mean, yeah, quite, same here. Like a lot of other people. Yeah, I read it in the lead up to the film so I knew yeah. going in what I was... Oh, I actually read it after the film and at first I was kind of thrown. Mm. I was, well, this is clearly different. Mm. Um, but... It's kind of the same. So as, I, as you get as you get into it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it was it was very very interesting contrast. And I'm I'm quite glad I did that actually because I think 
if I'd read the book before the film, I would have been annoyed a little bit. Because well, I'm, I'm a bit of a purist sort of stuff. Although the film is a better interpretation, in, in, in my opinion. I, I, I agree, my the opinion. film is a better interpretation. I, I still would have been kind of annoyed about it. But what I, one of the good things, if I think about the get, reading the prestige, is it then led me to um, Carter Beats the Devil yeah. uh, by um, Glenn David Gold. Which is Mag- brilliant. Magnificent. <laughs> And uh, and then just sort of got me into sort of a like an illusionist magic sort of phase. To make the comparison, I actually do prefer Carter beats the devil to yeah. this. Fair enough. I, 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 Carter, I is do, a, too. Carter is a great character. Yeah. Whereas I'm asked more to get into the intellectual premise behind the characters here yeah. and their rivalry, as opposed to being really engaged with them. Yeah, I'd really be interested to hear from listeners who actually read the book well before the film was made, mm. um, just to see what uh, what their thoughts were. Not just of the book, but also of the film and of the differences between the two. So if, if you were a fan of The Prestige before the film was released, let us know. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Because obviously we're coming from the perspective of reading the book either after seeing the film or in anticipation of the film coming out. So yeah. Yeah. We're, we're coming at it from a very different perspective. But I'd love to hear what people who read the book first have to say about it. Well, interestingly, I saw the film, and often when I see a film and it's a really good one, it inspires me to read the book, but I wasn't inspired for this one. I come out of the film rather meh. I, I loved wasn't, the film. Um, yeah, absolutely loved it. I, I, it wasn't until I, I looked through that website that I mentioned earlier. and uh, that, I, don't, I, that you don't know yeah, the name of. I don't know the name of. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> preparation, preparation, preparation. Um <laughs> Uh, a lot of the concepts and the tricks and the angles are very interesting and intriguing but for some reason I sort of was a bit glazed over watching the movie until David Bowie appeared on the screen (laughs) so I'm always more until Scarlett Johansson appeared on the screen but um (laughs) so yeah it didn't come out all uh, fired up to read the book at all so when it came time that we had to read the book I was like Oh. <laughs> really? Make it sound like a jail sentence until I, until I had to read the book. I, do I have to? Like, oh my god! I can understand where because I'm not a huge fan. It's, it's in my opinion, it's an okay mm. book. Yeah, and I'm much the same about the film. Um, mm. I, I wasn't. Really? I, I walked out. I wasn't blown away by it. Um, oh, okay. I was. I was just entranced. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't stunned by it. Awesome. It's. Mm. Um, and I think the the big problem for me that both the book and the film have is that that is that they are quite cold. Yeah. Um, that, That's the, it. I think you've hit the nail on the head. The there. intellectualism mm. over, and I understand the point that you're making, which are about um, the emo- there is an emotional level to the rivalry, and that is there in the book and is there in the film too. But overall, it's more about the trick itself. And yeah, I think it, that it, cold, it, that cold and calculated yeah. nature of the book mm. plays to the rather cold and calculated nature of the rivalry that the two of them have. But yeah. it, it then overtakes every other facet of not just the not the story. But every facet of the way in which the, of the of every facet of the construction of the story, so I began to see it as mm. nothing but an artificial construct yeah, as opposed to an organic. I totally process. agree with you. If if the characters of Andrew and Catherine had been much more engaging and mm. and likable and interesting characters, I think it would have carried at least that that section of the book better. Although, although I was glad that both the book and the film have the scene with the uh, the Asian illusionist mm. with the Ching Lung Su the the bowl between his legs seems is the the, the, the Asian the that he gets who actually to... isn't Asian. <laughs> I've always loved that. That, that. That's the great nature of the illusion. Though. It's just the, 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 the lengths that he goes to, mm. which then of course mirrors you know the main characters without giving anything away, obviously. Um, but yeah, so uh, ratings. Actually, no, I didn't plan this um, in the beginning, but uh, we've talked quite a lot about the films. Mm. Um, so hit me up with your book and your film mm. ratings. So, look... Um, as I said, it's not a terrible, not a terrible book by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not one that I was blown away reading. Um, it's it's a step up above middle of the road. Christopher Priest does have a you know a fairly concise prose style, and the world that it creates is is interesting. I or a recreation of that time period. I think this is a the the book. Um, I think is about a three, Luke for me. Um, you know, it, there is stuff there to enjoy, but it's not what I would consider the film. Um, but much the same. Okay. I, I do enjoy the book more than the, sorry, the film more than the book. But it's enjoyable. It's spectacular in certain places. Um, there are some good performances, but for much the same reason, it leaves me a little cold. Richard, 
I actually disagree with you on quite a few points there. Yeah, I give the book four. I think it's very clever and an intriguing book to read, um, especially the scenes in the past. Mm. Um, and I didn't feel that coldness that um, that Crystal and Luke have talked about. And for the movie, um, I'd give it the same. I think the movie is fantastic, really intriguing, and by focusing on the story in the past, mm. it, it's stronger for it. it. It's a lot stronger for it. Um, there is something that occurs with Angia uh, towards the end of his story which isn't in the film yeah. and I think that um, it might have worked a bit, little bit better had it actually been included in the film True. because the, the one I thing know, I think I know the bit you're talking about yeah. well the one thing in the film that kind of detracts a little bit from me is actually the confrontation between Borden and Angier at the end yep. which is I think a fairly standard Hollywood ending yeah, yeah. as mm. opposed to what the rest of the film has been which is very clever so I think something more like what happens to Angia and Borden in the book, I think would have worked better but to is, the strength of the film But isn't, well. the, isn't the end of that meant to be the ultimate trick, that the confrontation happens because one of them actually is a master illusionist? And I th- think, yeah, but I think that would have worked better for the film mm. to take yeah. that approach as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, but having said that, I do I love the film as well. I think it's fantastic. Mm. One of my favourite films of the last decade. Crystal? Well, I can't really add much more to what I've already said. I was going to say that um, given all the interesting elements of it, I was I was confused as to why I found it really hard to get into, but I think Luke really hit the nail on the head. I think that's what it was. I would give both the film and the book two and a half. I uh, might have increased that in the book if, as I say, the characters had been a bit more engaging, okay. um, a bit more fleshed out, but yeah, two and a half for me. Okay, cool. Um, well, I, I quite enjoyed the book. Um, like I said, I read it after the film. So I, the, the film, for me, I think is is the better interpretation. But I do I totally agree with what, what you said about the ending. Um, so yeah, and and with uh, the taken off the modern bits, mm-hmm. I just I just mm-hmm. don't think they really work mm-hmm. very well. But I do I do like the fact that you have to think while you're reading the book and just just how well structured it is and and the fact that there is no real winner. There's, mm. there's there's no real good guy. There's no mm. real bad guy. It's just two people living their lives and they really you know, making mistakes and and having to live the consequences. Mm. Um, so I'd give uh, I give the book three point five looks, um, and, but I do I do quite enjoy the film. It's it's uh, one of my favourites of you know of recent times. Um, some great great performances. Uh, just Christian Bale just knocks it out of the park. So uh, I'll give the film four four looks out of five. So thanks very much, everybody. Yes, thank you. Great stuff and uh, good choice. That was very Richard. much. A, that was very much a read the book, see the movie kind of uh, <laughs> review, wasn't it? It was. I didn't. I didn't plan it that way, but uh, that's how really. I mean, you can't really well, that's talk about it. I mean, it's a unique situation. Whereas the book and the film mm. came out relatively close mm. together. I mean, the book obviously was first, but it's it's you know relatively close. Whereas mm. most things we do. You know, there's a there's a good twenty year gap. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a huge gap. I think there's only stuff. seven or eight years. Isn't that ninety seven? The book. Uh, yeah. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. So I thought, you know, why not? Let's chuck it in. I mean, you can't well, really talk about that. But. I mean, there are obviously other books we can do that for as well. So if uh, listeners like that approach, let us know. So yeah. So feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Let us know your thoughts. Coming up next, popcorn junkie Prometheus. Okay, Prometheus, directed by Ridley Scott in his return to the Alien Universe, right, written by uh, John Spates and Damon Lindelof. Uh, interesting note there is that uh, John wrote it as a direct prequel to Alien, and then when they decided that it wasn't going to be a direct uh, prequel to Alien, it was more going to be set in the universe, they called in Damon Lindelof to come in and, you know, adapt it or, you know, make a room of it. That'd be a word for it. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it stars uh, Numi Rapace, uh, Michael Fassbender, Charlize Theron, Idris Elba, Guy Pearce, and Logan Marshall Green, who c- could make a career of standing in for Tom Hardy. 
He I mean, does look very similar to Tom Hardy. Even acts like Tom Hardy. It's just, yep. Although not as good. It's just... Uh, it was. I actually thought it was Tom Hardy until I read yeah. the credits. And I was like, wow. It's like his younger yeah, brother. When, when he first appeared, I was like, I didn't remember seeing Tom Hardy's name in the opening credits. He looks more like Tom Hardy than Tom Hardy looks like Patrick Stewart. Anyway. <laughs> That's right. I should have put him in Nemesis. Although at that point, he probably would have been about 10. <laughs> so it probably wouldn't have worked. And just a special mention, I think, for Sean Harris, who played Fightfield. Uh, the uh, the Mohawk Duke. <laughs> he was the "We're all going to die" character. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, all 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 alien related films need the guy that's there to freak out when things go wrong, and he fulfilled that role beautifully. Uh, so Numi Rapace plays Elizabeth Shaw, the protagonist of the film, the Ripley type character. Yes, the Ripley standing, uh, and you know she did an okay job, I suppose. Mm. I actually thought she was very good. For you know what she had to work with, I thought she did a great job. She wasn't the standout. No, no. the standout was of course Michael Fassbender as David. Yes, who yeah. was just stole the show basically, yeah. stole yeah. every scene he was in. And may I say what a, everything he's in? Yep. What a cool name, David. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's doing his best Peter O'Toole impersonation. I know, and actually, you know, has the scene watching yeah. uh, Lawrence of Arabia. So of Arabia, so it's. Uh, it's good. No, he's, he's still the show and everything he's in. He's just he's great. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's also he actually had you know I think in the character. I think Numi yeah. Rapace did a good job. Um, I don't think she had a lot. This Richard pointed out. I don't think she had a lot to work with until yeah. the uh, second maybe the second half of the film, mm-hmm. um, where particularly involving one harrowing scene, which I won't spoil here, where she is actually given a chance to do something, and then. From that scene onwards, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's not a I, def- spoiler? I definitely want to mention it because I think it's one of the best scenes in the film. Okay, it's the scene that is... everybody is going to remember. It's it's the scene where she uh, performs a self surgery cesarean section, hmm. and uh, we won't say the results, but uh, it's, it's just it's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a harrowing scene that works really well. Like hmm. it, it actually quite freaked me out when I saw it. Yeah. Um, it's... And it's it is the standout scene in the film. It's just, it's it's the one that everybody will unfortunately talk about. just goes downhill from there on in. <laughs> we'll get to that later, but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 great stuff. Uh, so Charlize <laughs> Theron is uh, Meredith Vickers. He's just the Ice Queen. I was uh, the. Uh, I think yeah, she's, she's been typecast. working on uh, <laughs> her appearance in Snow White and Huntsman, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> she, I thought she. I thought she, again with what she had, yeah. um, and she probably had the most underdeveloped character. Yeah, you um, just you just you know nothing um, from the start. In the, to finish, in that, you're just like, in, who is no, this person? Who cares? No, I disagree. In that, I think that she's actually um, there's a lot you learn about her, but it's mainly from Charlize Theron's performance, like her disdain that she has right at the very start for um, um, Guy Pearce's character when he's just appearing as this hologram, mm. and you can see the dislike that she has for David yeah. as this like surrogate son. Um, yeah, I think you actually learn yeah, a lot. It's, than, just, not, it's her, just not overtly her, stated. It's, it's just her, her performance sto- gives her, her, it. Her, it's a performance, but her story in and of itself yeah. is underdeveloped. I don't think any of the characters are very developed. No, I'm, I'm, t- I'm, totally, I'm totally with Luke here. So she, so she doesn't like her father, so she doesn't like uh, David the surrogate son. Who cares? I mean, mm. it's in mm. the end... Her character, mm. is, is all, that's all she's defined by, because yeah. she doesn't like her family. So yeah. what? Her purpose in the story, to me, wasn't sufficiently developed enough. Yeah, no, the story agree. reasons weren't. Agreed. There. I, 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 I want. I thought she was interesting. I thought Charles did not did a good job. But yeah, apart from that, that's it. Can uh, I just with Numi? I just wanted to point out. It sounds to me like a very Asimovian name. Oh, <laughs> it's just like you know how he changes um, more common names to sound more science fictiony, like Daniel becomes Daniel oh. and Doris becomes Dawes. It sounds like Naomi's become Numi. Oh. <laughs> also, pointed out she's playing another Elizabeth, and someone actually calls her Elizabeth at one point. <laughs> Come on, call her something else. Call her Melissa or something. <laughs> Uh, and uh, anyway, anybody other acting mentions? I think the captain was pretty cool. Idris Elba, mm. who's pretty damn cool in just about everything he's in. The big fan of him since The Wire. Mm. I think he's one of the better things about the British uh, police show we did, Luther. Yeah. He's um, also the gatekeeper in and Thor, Heimdall. Yeah, Heimdall. I didn't, I didn't uh, recognise him without the, the glowing eyes. Glowing eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the huge sword. He's, he's an actor that makes the most out of every role think, that he yeah. has. Um, <laughs> even even minor supporting roles like the one he has in mm. here, he certainly makes the mm. most out of mm. it. And then, yeah, and then all the others, the rest of the crew who really don't mean anything. And Paul Patrick Wilson with his tiny little cameo. <laughs> 
he's, he's a good actor. Yeah, give him a bit more of a chance. So the plot basically deals with uh, archaeologist Shaw and Holloway, who are a romantic couple as well as a archaeologist team, who discover a link between a whole bunch of uh, ancient uh, wall paintings that seem to point to a star map. Chariots of the Gods, anyone? Yeah, Chariots of the Gods sort of anyone? stuff. And um, they decide that it's actually uh, an invitation to come to this map. And so they uh, bring their their findings to the Wayland Corporation, most notably um, Peter Wayland, uh, who's on the verge of death, and he decides to believe them and funds their expedition to the planet uh, for reasons of his own. Uh, the group then head off to this planet and maybe discover the the uh, origins of man and uh, a whole bunch of philosophical questions and some tenuous links to the alien universe. Well, they dis- they discover a race of aliens they refer to as the engineers, who they mm. believe are the creators of humanity. Yeah. and uh, But they also discover that these engineers have created a, effectively a biological, genetic biological weapon that they, they were bringing to Earth to actually wipe out humanity as well. Mm, they just they they determine that we're a, a failed experiment, I suppose. Yeah, it's never really specifically stated. It's well, no, it's not. Holes. It's um, it's an interesting philosophical question that is posed in the film that isn't really satisfactorily answered. Mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 explain that these engineers, you know, have you know created humanity, and that's that's interesting. And then they want to wipe us out, but they don't really explain why they want to wipe us out, or even why they created us in mm. the first place. So it's it's unfortunately it's slightly underdeveloped idea, but it's an interesting slightly. philosophical question. Slightly. I just wish that they'd uh, they'd actually probably developed the engineers a little bit more, yeah, mm. um, and actually had a little bit more of this sort of archaeological aspect of it. Fine, and, and maybe answered some of those questions that are posed in the film. Uh, before kind of setting up for Prometheus 2. Yeah, my, my major problem with the film was that it tries so hard to be its own entity and yet then throws in some sort of obligatory connections to the alien universe. I would actually prefer if they didn't bother doing it at all. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna actually try and connect it to the to the rest of the alien films, do a better job at it. That's my, I just the 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 last ten minutes I think is basically where they try the hardest. Mm. And it just doesn't work at all, in my opinion. I actually think it's, it's. I mean, it's going on a massive nerd rage. It's factually wrong, and it's also it's just it, it, <laughs> nerd rage. It, it um, it's it just doesn't work dramatically. I think, and like you said, it's just it's one of the most blatant setups for a sequel I've ever mm. seen. Look, I um, there is an epilogue that mm-hmm. I think was unnecessary. Mm. Yeah. Um, other than that, I actually have no problem with because I didn't, I felt that the connections between this world and the alien world weren't really um, too heavy-handed for the most part. No, actually, and it's just this epilogue is the thing that kind of just tipped it over for me um, um, into in, into an unnecessary connection. I think oh, it would have stood a lot better as its own. Um, early, the, the, the connections early established early on were more about um, design of the ships and the yeah, lighting of them. Exactly. And that I quite liked because and it, the meant, it meant there stuff. was a, um, a continuity there without throwing it in my face that this is set in the alien Yeah, exactly alien right. World. The, sto- the whole story is just so full of holes. Um, I'm, I don't even, I'm not versed in alien lore myself, mm. but, and I'm just looking at the movie as a standalone movie, and it's just so full of holes. Like the opening sequence of the, the creation of man, how does that work? Because they created human DNA, but then... What about the rest of life on Earth? And our DNA very closely matches chimpanzees. How does that all work? That doesn't that doesn't work at all. Unless they created the basics of life, yeah. and then it just evolved in. But they're, they're ways. saying I mean, the human and the alien DNA is a, is a, an exact match. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I mean the, and, the... And, but and and the, the the murals like they've got six or seven different examples and they suddenly make a leap of logic that that's an invitation to go out to the stars where how does that work these are supposed to be scientists (laughs) but once again i don't see the the problem they've found a link between 
yeah. a whole series of ancient civilizations. Well, I understand how that might and be. And they want to go out there and, and find out the answers. Well, I understand to why how aliens. that might make you curious and want to go out there. But how do you read into that that that's that the aliens actually want you to come out and see them? I don't. I don't. Well, get I think it. that's more wishful thinking. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I mean, they, yeah, they, they are. They are shown to be quite optimistic. Yeah. scientists like they you know and they see it as an invitation which i have no problem with I yeah mean, i mean they throw the line that's what i choose to believe out there a number of times yeah yeah, yeah. well that's what I don't, that doesn't gel with me in a scientific mindset either i choose to believe no if you're a scientist you look at the evidence and then work out what's right and what's wrong but there are plenty of religious scientists and around now absolutely i've got no problem with her being religious and a scientist no, it just doesn't but i don't agree with it personally but that doesn't mean that doesn't exist doesn't mm. Doesn't, doesn't gel. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It doesn't gel for me either. But they still exist. They still exist. But there are plenty of scientists yeah. out there that work on on faith. That's true. Um, but a, a good so scientist I, I doesn't was... doesn't work, you know, doesn't ignore other data and and what. But they didn't ignore any data. They just took the data that they had and went, "Let's go out and find the answer." They thought it was an invitation. I I not don't see that as a hole in the story at all. I but just good scientists a... should draw conclusions from what the evidence tells them, not from what they want their hypothesis to be. I just don't see that as an actual flaw. But, but, uh, having, I don't think it's a flaw in the script. Having, having said all that, uh, Hollywood's not known for to be scientifically, scientifically accurate. accurate in any of their movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. I agree mm. with everything you're saying, but that's not really that's not mm. really a in the film though no i mean it's i mean they if, I mean, we that shows, go, if anything that shows them as flawed if we want to go for a so flaw in the film i would say that the the story was weak they needed to uh, um work on the characters a bit more when we got to the really scary bits i wasn't scared at all because i didn't care about any of the characters because i didn't know them well enough to care about them yeah it just it just when they start getting killed off it's like although yeah, I've, I've got who these people were although having said that i'm not all that um, upset about not being scared either because I, I don't really enjoy that sensation. It's, it's not, <laughs> well, it definitely wasn't scary. Horror's not really for me. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even wasn't even alien level of creepy. No. Yeah, but then he's not trying to make it alien level of creepy. It's not meant. No. It's it wasn't creepy. It wasn't suspenseful. It's in terms of Ridley Scott and his directing. I think it's Ridley Scott in Blade Runner territory. Mm. Um, mm. In that he's trying to recreate, not not trying to create a suspense, which is what he's doing in Alien. Um, he's actually trying to recreate a world, which is what he does in Blade Runner. Mm. Um, and mm. I think he does a fantastic job. I think the film is stunning. Visually, yeah. it's damn impressive. Mm. I'd agree with that. He's, he's, he's aiming for because that a was, more uh, philosophical movie than a straight-out horror film. And I'm saying yeah. that because um, one of the charges that's going to be against the film is everyone going, oh, hang on, it's not as scary as Alien. Yeah. Um, and mm. I... Which, um, look, mm. I'm not a huge fan of the film myself, but I don't think that's a fair charge. People will say that, though. Mm. Um, they're already what, saying that. That, that's, yeah. But that's not what the film is about. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, yeah. I, I think it did, it did look amazing. Mm. And uh, I wasn't... There was... No, I mean, none of the production, I, I think, was, mm. was bad. The and cinematography, I think, was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. The was film was excellent. beautifully shot. And, and I really liked the scene with when um, David finds the cockpit for um, the, the engineers. Yeah. Um, and he sees the holographic display and it demingles with that. I thought that was a wonderful sequence. Mm-hmm. It, beautifully shot, nicely acted by Michael Fassbender. I truly believe that there was a sense of wonder as to what was going on. Mm. Um, and I kind of wanted more like that, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. If the if the story was as, as interesting as mm. the, the production, it would have mm-hmm. been yeah. amazing. Um, well, even if they did more sto- storytelling that in that way, but... The story seemed to be a big build-up towards all the gory stuff, and then wow, look at all the cool gory stuff. But there really wasn't you a great so? ma- wasn't amount a of gore no. or anything in this, yeah. other than I mean, there was obviously the rather harrowing operations. Well, let me rephrase that to uh, actiony action stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it was more a build-up to a question that they just never answer. Yeah, yeah. Or wait, which is which is answer. which is really, and I'll be honest with you, I actually did enjoy this film, hmm. um, and I know there's going to be. Everybody here is going to disagree with me, but I actually enjoyed the film. But my one flaw with it is that I wish there was actually more world building. I wish there was more about the engineers, yeah. what they were doing, yeah. um, and maybe not even with a complete like answer to why they created humanity and then why they wanted to kill us. No, but but just more than what we were given. Like, yeah. give us mm-hmm. more about the engineers, more about this these these aliens, what they're about. Um, 
even if they, you do want to set it up for a sequel, which is clearly what they've done. Yeah. But even if you do want to set it up for a sequel, at least answer some of those questions, but perhaps in a way that poses new questions. Mm. And then make that the yeah, basis. Make for us sequel. interested in the world and make us want to yeah. go and see the sequel. Um, and that's the. So, that, and that's really my, my only problem with the film. And I wish there was more of that. And that's my my main issue with. I kind of thought that there was no much, not much in the way of intrigue. Hmm. A lot of what they presented, I'd, I'd kind of seen before. I could kind of guess that without really having to think about it too hard. And I didn't want that. I actually wanted. Not first of all, not all the questions answered straight away. I like ambiguity, hmm. and I like I do like working things out as I'm watching it but more of a sense of intrigue mm. and a greater sense of mystery because mm. um, yeah as um, Richard has pointed out we actually don't get a lot about the engine we don't get a lot, of, a lot about the engineers and their world and I wanted I wanted someone to ask more questions about what was going on well, so, but some more interesting questions rather than oh, who are they why did they create us actually going to hang on what were these guys about study the architecture do some do a bit more detective work. There wasn't really enough time for that, though. Oh, there but was plenty are, of time. There, was, there, there, there are, were so many lulls in the film. Mm. They're, they're, they're archaeologists. They would have liked to have seen a little bit more archaeology. Mm. Yeah. Um, and a little bit more of uncovering... I mean, really, the, the one person that's actually uncovering things is actually David. And that's Which my, is why... I, I think partly why he becomes the, the most interesting character in the mm. film. Mm. Um, I would have liked to have seen Numi Rapace's character mm. do a little bit more... You know, actually studying and, and uncovering things as well, and maybe yeah, just give us a little bit more about what these, who these aliens are, mm. and what they're about. Yeah. And if you'd done that, if mm. you, if if Numi, if uh, Elizabeth Shaw had discovered a bit more, you might have actually become a bit more involved in her story earlier on, as mm. opposed to yeah. becoming more involved. Yeah. I actually, I I started to care about her more after the Caesarian. Um, yeah, well, the Caesarian. Yeah, the Caesarian is 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 mm. the moment that makes. Her character more interesting, but um, the, the wow. uh, leading up leading up to that, David does everything. Yeah, you know he and and I like I love watching you know the sort of the accidental way he discovers things, but then there's a the, you get the sense that there's a purpose to what he's actually doing. Yeah. I thought that was very well done, but it's because he's not the main character. Um, I Elizabeth should have been doing some of that more herself. Yeah, agree. Mm-hmm. Um, My biggest bugbear was uh, after the cesarean. I was willing to suspend belief for a little bit because she said the adrenaline pumping through her and whatnot. But for the rest of the movie, she's constantly running around and mm. but being kind of a superwoman. She's just had abdominal surgery. And, you know, from experience, I know you can't get up and run around after that. Mm. I, I, was, I, mean, I would say... How is she walking, actually? I would have. She just leaps up and starts running around. I mean, she's struggling. She, she's constantly injecting herself with drugs to dull the pain. I mean, I, but I she's also thrown, I think she's, she's also thrown around a fair bit. Yeah. And yeah. but you're also talking. And there's one. Future. There's one moment where she does actually get whacked right in the gut, yeah. um, and then yeah. is thrown, and then two Which seconds later, first is, thrown, is thrown right. See, oh, but then I, you're I, also I, talking future technology. I, I, well, I mean, if we're talking future technology, why, how come we're using staples to staple her up? Why can't we use some sort of Star Trek skin knitting deal? And that would have made it more, made more sense that she could actually uh, carry no, this I, through. I, I, I've got to disagree with that. I yeah. don't really say that problem. I think she's still struggling with it. And, you know, like I said, she's constantly, like, she injects herself with painkillers for about the next 10 minutes no. like over and over again no, no. so i i i don't know i take i take i take i take maybe maybe for the for your applying maybe for the first bit but for the rest of the film no no she would have any normal human being would have curled any up any normal and human out being being operated on in our society yeah. would have that problem but once again it's it's a machine that does operations for you i'm more than happy to suspend my disbelief that the machine and the way it does its work yeah. is enough that she can get up with the intense amount of pain. She's running with Charlize Theron and they're keeping pace with each other and when Charlize Theron is fit and healthy and she's just had this huge gash put in her stomach, That's how is that possible? Like she actually outruns her at one point. So, uh, right. Cool. Um, I give this two looks really for Fassbender and Ridley Scott. Would have liked more drama and more intrigue. I give this three and a half. Um, I think it's actually an interesting world building. I think the characters are actually more interesting than obviously the rest of the crew believes. But I would have liked more about the engineers and more about what was going on and some more sort of answers to some of those big questions. I give this two looks for exactly the reasons Luke just said. 
Fair enough. Uh, I give it uh, two and a half Lukes. Uh, I'm glad that I was wrong about the trailer giving it all away. I mean, it gives quite a lot of it away, but not all of it, and that's good. Um, but uh, mainly, yeah, mainly for what Luke said. It just it was beautiful to watch. Yeah. Some more answers would have been good. So that's Prometheus from the NCP crew. Are there man tears? What, David? I'm glad you asked. No, there was no there was no man tears. It wasn't an abomination, so I'm, I'm happy with it. It wasn't actually, Robin Hood level of yeah. Thing. I mean, I, I mean, I was entertained. Mm. It was it, it's it's a good film. Let's be let's be honest. It's a good film. It's just uh, not a great it film. Wasn't as, as as good as I was hoping it would be. And yeah, not a great film. But fortunately, Ridley Scott has ensured that David didn't cry. That's it. That was his goal. That's right. From the outset. <laughs> Next up, Batman. Will that make David cry? Might make Dark me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that emotionally invested in Dark Knight Rises, so I'm not really What about worried. Spider-Man? Will Spider-Man no, make you cry? I don't know. It just, the trailers already look crap, so I'm not that, I'm not that worried. <laughs> uh, next up, coming soon. Okay, coming soon, out June 14, is rock musical Rock of Ages. No! I actually think it looks alright. I can't <laughs> stand that music, uh, that uh, you know, poison and all that sort of business, but the film looks like it might be a bit of fun. Bit of fun. I grew up with big hair bands. I yeah. love, I've understood well, so I. I mean like and Def Leppard and not Poison, but <laughs> certainly some of the music. But you I mean the know. good bands? Yeah, I don't know. You don't want to see them butchered by, you know, Tom Cruise's crooning? Yeah. I think he does an alright job in I'm the trailer. It's him. I mean, the bit. No, it's, it's actually him singing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think he does. I, I actually, you know, I'm not handing out for it. It's, but yeah. you know, I'll, I'm willing to sit through it. We won't be reviewing it though. Sorry, people. Uh, and on that day, we also get um, horror film from the mind of Joss Whedon, The Cabin in the Woods. Finally. Uh, yeah, it's been out in England for. Well, uh, quite a bit. This is one that wasn't even going to get a release originally. Yeah, it wasn't like, going to wasn't going to get a theatrical release in Australia. Yeah, it's actually but... the story behind how it's actually getting into cinemas is, I think, is interesting. Possibly more interesting than the film itself. No, actually, the film. Have, have you? Like, it sounds interesting. I mean, I've, I've read some reviews because um, obviously they've had it far before for yeah. us, and I reckon it sounds awesome. Mm. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's got a great poster. Not Love just because you're a Joss fanboy. I'm not a Joss fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I refuse to accept that. No, I haven't just said it. You couldn't say that with a straight face. I know. There was a period where I wasn't. I mean, it was obviously, during the Buffy and Angel years, it was something like, you know, Joss can do no wrong. But then he did Dollhouse, and I was like, what is this rubbish? But now now he's back. The Avengers, he's back on the pedestal. We love you, Joss. No, uh, you love him. Okay, I love him. I appreciate some of what he does. You love him. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is kind of weird. Like every episode, we mention some guy that I'm in love with. It's it's kind of weird. If I wasn't already married, you'd be starting to ask some questions. Look, I'm starting to ask those questions anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're only starting to ask those questions. Although this I did, I did this mention, isn't a sham marriage. Way, just. I did mention Scarlett's appearance in in the Prestige. So that's good. That's true. Um, she's very pretty. Uh, then the week after, on June 21, we get Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, which is stars Australia's own Chris Hemsworth, and he looks awesome. And uh, and some like some Thor, chick actually. some chick from some vampire movie I don't know. Plus yeah, also she's all glittery I think from what I've heard. <laughs> Plus also Ian McShane, Ray Winston, Bob Hoskins. So we know that the dwarves are at least going to be a well a well acted bunch of uh, characters and really tough. I mean, talk yeah. about this like there's some of your toughest tough Ian guys. Ian McShane's around. a dwarf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awful. Well, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins is the one they didn't even need special effects for. Is he, yeah. is he potty mouth dwarf? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like Lord of the Rings. Is most of them the were problem... actually hobbit sized. The, the, the problem is, is I'm not saying. Can't... I'm just saying. Is Ian McShane is a dwarf? It blows my mind. <laughs> blows got, my mind. If you've got Ian McShane, Ray Winstone, and Bob Hoskins, does that mean all the dwarves are grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> so of course, the girl that I mentioned was Kristen Stewart. Um, and Charlie Theron plays the Charlie Theron. Yeah, so I'm actually I'm looking forward to it. I have I watched a, a couple of Snow White movies some weeks back for uh, just for the fun of it, and uh, they were awful most most of them, except for Taylor Terror, which was alright. But uh, the other two were just disgustingly bad. So let's hope this <laughs> picks it up. I think it's going to do a bit better than Mirror Mirror, which sort of sunk without a trace. Mm. It did, yeah. Which is uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. And uh, on the same day, we also get uh, Pixar's latest animation, Brave. Which looks pretty cool. Uh, we won't be reviewing it, but uh, yeah, I'll, it's Pixar. Still we'll go see it. Yeah, we'll give it a shot. It's got a good pedigree. 
Uh, it looks very well, pretty. Well, you know, you know the animation will be excellent. Let's mm. hope that we get a good story from it. Yeah. yeah. They can be a bit 50-50 in that regard. Oh, 50-50 of late. Mm. And another one on the same day is actually, it's not pop culture, but I just wanted to mention it. It's uh, Marley, the film biography and examination of um, the great man himself. Bob. I'm a big fan. And um, yes, his first name was Bob. <laughs> um, Re- yeah, reggae legend, Bob yeah, Marley. legend. <laughs> so uh, that might actually be uh, quite interesting as well. And as always, NCP's favourite cinema, The Aster, has a great selection of films showing in the next two weeks, including uh, the A Night of the Opera and A Day at the Races double on June 17. I'm so excited about that. Classic it's not stuff. funny. And an action double. I don't want to say an, a classic action double, just in case I get yelled at again like I did last time with The Last Starfighter. But uh, an action double on the 15th with Predator and Die Hard. No, Predator and Die Hard are both classics. awesome films. Two of my favourite action movies. In fact, Die Hard is one of my favourite films of all time. So... Um, but making a predator correct. is better than predator. <laughs> making a predator <laughs> the, 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 is hilarious. The commentary on predator. <laughs> Jesse Ventura, what a legend! <laughs> um, yeah, so a great double there. Uh, but the true highlight, I, sh- I think, uh, is going to be on June twenty three with the Big Lebowski bash. Uh, don your finest bathrobe and bring your bowling ball to the Big Lebowski bash. Doors open at 6.30pm for costume and trivia contests, a Lebowski tribute band, and White Russians at the bar, and All Things Dude before they actually show the featured film at 7.30. I've um, got my ticket. Really? Already? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to go. I reckon love awesome. the big Lebowski. Uh, so check out their full listings at www.astatheatre.net.au and uh, pre-book for this uh, big Lebowski bash. And uh, yeah, check out NCP crew members there as well. And just a reminder to our listeners as well, um, as we sort of mentioned in the last podcast um the aster is actually under threat of closure um there is a website and a group form called friends of the aster so please go online check it out sign their online petition and let's keep the aster open here here and uh yeah just a reminder that uh oz comic con is coming to melbourne june 30 july 1st so that's saturday and sunday going to be a great show from uh, from the looks of things we've got a great lineup of guests uh including stan the man lee uh, Patrick Stewart, make it so. Uh, Sean Mayer from Firefly. I, I can't get that name right. Sean Mayer. I stuffed it up last time, didn't I? Yes, you, you did. <laughs> Sean Two weeks later, Mayer. I still haven't figured it out. Just I'm say sorry, Sean, Sean from Firefly. Yeah, Sean. That, that guy from Firefly. You know the one. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to meeting him. I reckon he's cool. Uh, Mitch Pelleggi uh, from X-Files. Jason Momoa from Game of Thrones. And various other stuff. Armin Shimmerman. Francis Manipool. Nicholas Scott. And some people from Hunger Games, and many more. There's other people. Don't think that that's all of them. There's actually like double that amount. It's, it's uh, great. Going to be a great show. Tickets are on sale now from Ticketmaster or at the door. Or you could win a ticket in our competition. Yay! Yay. As we uh, said last episode, we have a competition to celebrate our one year anniversary. So this is our first episode in our second year of NCP gr- Glory. Did you say this is the first episode? It's the first episode in our new year. Oh, okay. Yeah, last new, episode was section. the end of our last year. Our next 25. I'm confused. <laughs> I probably didn't say it very well. I'm confused. Confused. <laughs> so to celebrate, we're having an awesome competition. Uh, we've got some great prizes. Uh, unfortunately, we can't enter ourselves. I might enter as like a fake name. You make can't a, do that. Make a fake Hotmail account. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. That's dodgy. <laughs> it is dodgy. But there's an idea for people who want to enter twice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to help you people out. Our, our beloved fans. Okay, so the first prize is uh, a copy of the Prestige novel, which we just reviewed. Uh, a copy of the V for Vendetta hardcover, which is, looks very pretty. The V for Vendetta DVD and a double weekend pass for Oz Comic Con. Oz Comic Con being kind enough to donate some tickets. So if you can't uh, get onto Ticketmaster for whatever reason, because the site's gone down because too many people are trying to buy tickets for Oz Comic Con. That could be it. Um, you can actually win one from us. So a double weekend passes for both days, two people. Brent. Uh, the runners-up prize pack, which is almost as good as the, the first prize, which is a copy of the Prestige novel, as well as a DVD of the film. So you can actually rate and review the two of them, just like we did on the show. Yay! Yay! Uh, as well as or you com- could just read them and watch it, because, you know, they're cool. <laughs> you can be the fifth member of Nerd Culture Podcast. The audience is the fifth member of No Culture Podcast. You are the fifth Beatle. (laughs) Just don't be Yoko. Uh, The Killing Joke trade, and and of course a double weekend pass for Oz Comic Con. Great stuff. 
And the response to the competition so far has been pretty damn impressive. And let's face it, how can you blame them from those awesome prizes? Um, but I have noticed uh, one thing. Now, we've had quite a lot of entries. I won't give the exact number, but quite a lot. Um, and no one has gotten questions one and three correct. Now, I, I've, we've discussed it amongst ourselves, and uh, we think it might be just a, a little too hard. Um, and judgment from the response, obviously, it is a little too hard. Uh, so what we're going to do is, because we're awesome people, and we want our awesome listeners to have our, a, a good chance at these awesome prizes, we're going to drop questions one and three. So, to win the prizes that I just, just uh, described, all you need to do is name any two people we have been lucky enough to interview on the show, and this also includes any guest crew members that we've had, and name two guests coming to the Melbourne Oz Comic Con event. So everybody who's already entered, fear not, because we're cool, we're actually going to include all your entries as well. Everybody's in the run. Yay! That sounds awesome, fabulous leader. It's it's awesome sauce. <laughs> You're obsessed with awesome sauce. Even the dog in the background likes it. <laughs> <laughs> that bloody dog. So just to reiterate, if you've already entered, awesome, you haven't missed out, all entries will be counted, and uh, keep those entries coming. We've got, like I said, a huge response. So, you know, more, more, more. Got to be in it to win it. Entries close midnight June 23, and the winners will be announced on episode 27, which will be up June 24. Yeah, so to enter, it'd probably be good if I actually give the uh, the email address. It's feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com in order to get those uh, questions, answers in, and uh, be in it to win it. Enter now. <laughs> enter to win. And whatever you do out there, listeners... Don't forget that you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or you can post on our funky Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or you can even tweet us at at nerdculturecast. If you don't want to do any of those funky new technology things, you can even leave a comment on any post on our website which is www.nerdculturepodcast.com and whatever you do, whilst you're not forgetting all of those things, also don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. So use all of that new technology to make us look good, everybody. Is it just me? Did he sound like he was discovering all this for the very first time hey, after this... 25 episodes? <laughs> I'm still trying to work out what that recording thing is doing on the table there. <laughs> Strange newfangled technology. Thank you very much for that, Richo. <laughs> very that. informative. So just before we go, I just want to mention that uh, the literary world has lost one of its one of its greats in the past week. Mr. Ray Bradbury, uh, a favourite of the NCP crew, uh, died uh, last week at age 91. Um, his contributions to literature and you know, science fiction mainly is, is beyond compare. It's uh, pretty impressive stuff. I mean, he had... Uh, his two best-known works, of course, were Fahrenheit 451 and The Martian Chronicles, but he also contributed... Like over 600 short stories and you know another ridiculous amount of novels as well. So um, it's it's a big loss, and I know Richo is particularly affected. Yeah, Ray Bradbury is possibly my favourite writer of all time. So it's mm. sad to see him pass away. But uh, at 91, you know, he's had a very good innings, and he has left a vast body of work for us. Not just the novels and the short stories, but also uh, adaptations in comic books and on television mm. he had Ray Bradbury Theatre that's right um, and also movie scripts mm. let's not forget that he contributed a couple of movie scripts including mm. the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms yep so yeah so it's sad to see him passing but he's left us an incredible body of work and that's mm. it's amazing to look at and yeah it's also sad because he's one of the um, the last of the greats of the golden age of science fiction um, he sort of came at the I wouldn't say tail end but he came in the late 40s Early late forties, early early fifties, and was around just before um, the beginning of the new wave. So it's what is considered to be the um, the one of the great periods of literary science fiction is um, now gone, yeah. end of an era. Mm. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, next episode, we'll be having a popcorn junkie on Snow White and the Huntsman, Vestrazo and Chris Hemsworth, and for our roundtable, we'll actually be revisiting our pop special that we had. Uh, few episodes back. Uh, Luke has requested that we return to that world so that he can review uh, The Shadow and yep. The Spire. Yep, both um, both from Dynamite. 
Um, both have just been recently released, and I thought it's a good time to actually go to the character who should have been released a year ago in the initial pulp, you know, revival that was going on. The so next wave or whatever it was called. First wave. First wave. I don't know. Whatever. It was terrible. So who cares? And since we're going to be reviewing those comics with Luke, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to have a look at the two issues of Before Watchmen that will actually be out at that point. So uh, that'll be pretty exciting. Be to see, nice... see whether it's a disaster that we that some people think it's going to be. Mm. And it's also a nice follow-up to our discussion from the last podcast on creative rights. That's right. An interesting discussion. And also, excitingly enough, we actually have our competition winners announced. <laughs> excitingly enough. <laughs> Excitedly doobly. <laughs> Diddly. Oh, oh. Idly. That's it for me. David. That Excitingly is, that is, enough, that is I'm saying I'm goodbye. Excitedly. Uh, leave me alone. I'm so excited by saying farewell to you all. You Excitedly people, excited. People are mean. Oh. Look. I'm sort of blasé about saying goodbye. I'm not excitedly excitedly enough. I'm sort of moderately excited. And Crystal. And I can't deny it. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I want you. I want you. (laughs) Bye.